Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Regen. My name's Rebecca, and uh, to get us started off, I'm just going to read a few verses of scripture. Uh, This is Romans 8, uh, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Hey, good morning, and welcome to Regen. Um, We're so glad to have you with us this morning um, on this chilly fall morning. Um, Here at Regen, we're passionate about people's lives being interrupted with the love and grace of Jesus, so we hope this morning that as we are just here in this space together that you find yourself interrupted by his love and grace. Um, Just a couple of quick announcements. If you have a social media account and want to check in, um, this month, October, we're doing um, donations for UMCOR, which is the United Methodist Committee on Relief. And so they do relief work um, for both of the hurricanes that we've had and actually the tsunami over in Indonesia. So that'll generate donations toward that. And then um, coming up in November, we have our um, parenting book club. There's information on your bulletin about that. And we also have... um, Coming up in November, our Summit Academy Thanksgiving dinner. So if you're available on that Monday night, the 19th, and want to come help us decorate, um, pull turkeys apart, uh, do all sorts of fun stuff, that's great. If you're available Tuesday during the day, you can meet the kids, serve um, them their meal and all of that, which is also really fun. So um, those are the only things that we have coming up. In addition, just a reminder that we do have our circles. So we have our youth circle, which is tonight at our house at 6 p.m., And then we have our um, Cortland Circle on Tuesday, which meets at the Bylers at uh, 6.30. And our Howland Circle, which meets on Wednesdays at the Brits at 6.30. So um, you can see there's information in your bulletin, or you can talk to myself if you would like more information about getting involved in those. Plot twist. Hi, that's me. Uh, Hey, welcome to Regen. I'm Kyle. I get to be the pastor here. Um, And in a minute, I'm going to pass around these buckets as we uh, give our offering this morning. And we include that in our worship gathering because we believe that it is, in fact, an act of worship. And it is not an attempt on our part to buy our way into heaven or purchase God's favor, but it is a response to him and his generosity. There's two ways that we want to give as the followers of Jesus. We want to give in a way that is structured, and we want to give in a way that is spontaneous. And that structured giving is that giving that we do regularly, that we do proportionately out of our income uh, to fuel the mission of the kingdom. But then there's that spontaneous giving uh, that scripture talks about that when we're presented with a surprise need, that we step into that too. But today we're here for uh, structured giving. And the way that we do that is you can do that online. Um, there's more instructions on the envelope in your program. And, uh, but I'm going to pray. And then Josh, you just take those buckets, pass them backwards, and Josh takes it from there. So, um, Father, thank you that you give to us so freely. And that what we give here today is not an attempt to purchase anything from you, but simply a respond to your very own generosity toward us. And so, God, we pray that this, uh, what we give today, would be used to bless others. You have blessed us that we might be a blessing to others. 
Uh, may that be tangible. May that be spiritual. And most important, may that come as people are pointed to Jesus through this community. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news is that God is with us. And so we're so thankful, Father, that you share your presence with us. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you today to be our comforter, to be our encourager, and in some cases to be our afflictor, right? Because, uh, Holy Spirit, you comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so uh, invite us, challenge us, and bring us closer to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you're here. I got to get adjusted because my iPad was like almost dead after the last campus. So while I'm doing that, the iPad's over there, my stuff's here. While I'm doing that, um, we uh, posted this week on social media and I sent to you in the reconnect um, a spiritual assessment survey for the fall. Um, as a church that is uh, trying to grow disciples, not just, when you're trying to grow disciples, you can't measure, oh, kids can go back. That's important. Sorry, I see the banning kids staring at me. Um, uh, when you're trying to build disciples, it, you, we can't measure the same things that other churches would measure, say like attendance. That's important, but um, there's some other things. So um, if we're looking for everybody that calls Regen home to take a few minutes and fill that out. And gentlemen, that does mean you too. So don't let your wife fill it out for you. Um, so uh, there's like 14 responses and 13 of them are women. So ladies, way to go. Uh, but uh, go ahead and take, and we're trying to get that done by November 1st, which is Thursday. Y'all, life is moving at a pace. Um, so last week we were in Arizona. Uh, I got to officiate my brother Logan's wedding. His wife's name is Eternity. Yes, her parents are Arizona hippies. Um, that's the only thing I can possibly explain that. Um, really great to do their wedding. Really, um, really sweet. I was more nervous doing their wedding than I have ever been. I mean, I was kind of almost sick to my stomach when it started. And it wasn't like a big, it was just, it felt important to get it right. Um, and I actually flubbed in a, in a funny part because I, in the repeat after me of the vows, I said to eternity, I, eternity, take you, Logan, to be my wedded wife. And then we all like, wait a minute. Okay, so then we had to, it was really uncomfortable because then we had to go all out and start the wedding all over again. And, you know, <laughs> had to get it right. So, but uh, my mentor, his name is Rick, was uh, here last week to preach. Um, if any craziness and any goodness that's in me is his fault, so I'm here because of him. And uh, that was the first time he ever preached at Regen, and I heard it went really, really well. Um, we'll get him back here again soon. Uh, we're kicking off this series called One Hot Mess, which kind of says it all, right? Uh, of the mess of our lives. Our lives are rarely peaceful. Uh, they, our lives are not like one long Hallmark movie interrupted by chaos and disorder. Our lives are like chaos and disorder interrupted by Hallmark commercials, right? Our lives like are one hot mess. And Rick did a good job of starting off that series, helping us see that God's desire is to be in the mess with us, 
right? And so the way of Jesus does not simplify our lives in the terms of uh, making the mess go away. I've been following Jesus. I've said this a lot here that I've been following Jesus since I was about five or six. Jesus has only made my life more complicated, not less. And, but, the, but what we're looking at in the next couple of days and the next couple of weeks as we step into this series of One Hot Mess is admitting that there is a mess, believing that God wants to be in it with us. We want to look at the messiness of our lives in a very specific way, and that's the mess that comes along with being in relationship. Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but people are super duper messy, right? Um, nobody, I got like 10 amens verbal at the last campus. They were like, yes, Lord, you know? Yeah, there you go. We are surrounded by people and they have, these people, they have these feelings and these opinions and these preferences and these wants and desires. And, and to top it off, as if that weren't enough, these people, it's ridiculous, their feelings and opinions and preferences and wants and desires. Um, so these people, they have their feelings and wants and opinions and preferences. I have my feelings and wants and, difference and preferences and they're different than mine. And in fact, more often than not, the feelings and opinions of people around me come at cross purposes of my feelings and opinions. We will want, when I'm around people, when you're around people, it's inevitable that we're gonna want different things it's inevitable that we're going to experience a situation or a conversation in vastly different ways. You only have to be married for a hot minute to figure out that you can have a conversation and you think the conversation went one way and your spouse thinks the conversation went another way. This happens all the time in, at work. I mean, you send an email and inside the email, you're very cheery, but the person that receives it thinks you're yelling at them the whole time, right? We will have opinions. You get people together, there will be opinions that differ from on everything, from who should be president to how the toilet roll should be put on. So should the paper go over or under, right? Right, there's a difference, Dan, yes, right. The Enneagram ones in the room are like, this is not an opinion, it is just a matter of right and wrong, right? Uh, the, these messes, these messes were in this one hot mass and they happen everywhere. They happen in our marriages. They happen as we raise our kids. And I've, I've heard it on good authority that the messes just get bigger when our children become adults, right? It's, it's easier to manage when they're, I take this on faith. We'll find, I'll get back to you in about a year. It, they're easier to manage when you can like carry them around, right? It's, it's when they start moving on their own and God forbid driving, that it becomes a challenge. We have, we have messes that follow us into work and we even have messes at church, we do. Because truly, truly, I say unto thee, wherever people are, there the mess will be also. That is the book of Kyle, chapter three, verse one. So let me tell you the good news. This Jesus who dwells with us in the mess is the same Jesus who can help us out of the mess. Our lives will not be mess-free, but we can wrap our lives around the life of Jesus and find ways to short-circuit the mess, to limit the extent of the mess. And some of us are going to hear the sermon and say, if life is messy, why even try? Listen, if you're good with that much drama and that much disagreement and that much conflict in your life, that's between you and Jesus. The rest of us sane people would like to figure out how to kind of minimize that. Am I right? So we want, we know that to be an apprentice of Jesus, to be a follower of the way of Jesus is to be with Jesus and be like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. And he invites us into this way of life that is easy and light. 
Jesus says, my yoke, and e- my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what I'm asking you to do today, I'm going to give you some really practical stuff. I'm not asking you to do more. I'm actually asking you to do less. I'm actually asking you to do less as we, as we kind of mine the wisdom of Jesus for how to get out of the hot mess. And one of my favorite passages about this is in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at that. Paul writes this letter to a church that he helped start in a city called Philippi. And he says in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, and I'm going to ask you to give me some verbal response. So kind of shake yourself out of discomfort. Okay? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Church. Is there any encouragement? Yes. Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is there, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Answer honestly. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, that's right. Right? If that's true, Paul says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Paul's writing to a church that is a hot mess. Truth be told, all of the churches in the New Testament were a hot, hot mess. Uh, We saw that last winter when we looked at the letters that John writes, the churches in Revelation, right? There's just one hot mess after another. In fact, Paul, toward the end of the letter to Philippians, begs two of its leaders, a woman named Euodia and a woman named Syntyche. I mean, when Zach and Jenna were looking for biblical names for Zoe, Euodia, Syntyche, not on the top of the list, right? Um, Euodia and Syntyche, he begs them to agree. He begs them to set aside their differences, which means we need to take note of the fact that disagreement and frustration and drama and conflict is an inevitable part of being part of church. The number one, one of the number one reasons people don't participate in church in Trumbull County is because of the conflict. Listen, you cannot get a group of people together and not have conflict. It doesn't matter how much you love them, how much you like them. There's always going to be conflict. But what makes conflict in the church so much heavier for us is that we have an unfair, and I would in fact argue unbiblical expectation that this church should be free of conflict. That because we all love Jesus and because we're all nice people, we shouldn't have conflict. But the reality is because church gets so close to home, because it's about our lives and our salvation, it's so personal, conflict actually gets a little more pointed in church. And then it gets even more pointed because we have this assumption that there shouldn't be conflict and we feel smacked across the face by it. Here's the trick. The gospel, the way of Jesus does not remove, does not remove conflict from the church. Instead, what it does is it invites us to transform the way we handle conflict in the church. It invites us to then take that transformed way of dealing with one another and apply it at work, apply it in our circle of friends, apply it in our marriages, apply it in our parenting. It is not, this sermon series is going to be all about relationships, and next week we're going to really talk about some really practical stuff about how to handle disagreement and conflict at work and at church and in other places. But, but the tr- truth of the matter is, is that we need to take this transformed method of doing conflict and apply it elsewhere. So Paul, to this hot mess of a church, says, if there is anything good, he says, if there's encouragement or comfort or fellowship together, do you know, have you ever watched, thanks Zoe, have you ever, have you ever, you know, I, I didn't do this, I take it on faith that this works, but you know in track, there's that long jump, and they do a lot of this like, like motion, right? Because they're going to like take off, and if you think I'm going to jump, I'm not. Um, but I, I feel like what Paul's saying, like if there's 
any encouragement from belonging to Christ, if there is any comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship from the Holy Spirit, to use those, those good things about living together and use those to kind of give us some momentum as we take a leap toward making, make, by agreeing with wholeheartedly, by, by, by loving one another, by working together with one heart and mind. Because what happens in conflict too is we forget that. We forget the comfort. We forget the fellowship. We forget the love. And so it makes that conflict even more intense. But what Paul says is you got to take the good that is there and use that to take a running leap. You got to use that to take a running leap at what he says in verse three, which is don't be selfish, shoot. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I, I never listened to this, but I'm pretty sure at some point while the people on the Southwest Airline were talking, they said something about, in case of an emergency, a bag will drop from the ceiling. Make sure to put yours on first before you help somebody else, right? That's what Paul's getting at in this idea of don't look out only for your own interests, Take an interest in others too. See, some Christians go to one extreme or the other. They're only looking out for their own interests. They're only looking out for the interests of others. Paul says, put on your mask, look out for your own interests, but then also take some time and look at the interests of others. He says that this is humility, which for me is like the biggest rant rant of Christian words ever, okay? Humility. And he defines humility in verse five of chapter two, and Dan, this is not on the screen. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the form. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore... God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we see is this, this absolute insane ordering of things that Jesus has received, has had bestowed on him highest honor there is no higher honor in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. There's nowhere that you can find a reward or an honor higher than the award and honor that has been bestowed upon Jesus. And he receives this. He receives this name above every name by taking the path of humility and servanthood, even when humility and servanthood required nothing short of death. Jesus receives highest honor by the path of servanthood and humility. And we see this vital principle in the kingdom, Dan, go to that U-shaped thing. We see the law of indirect effort. I knew some of those words were gonna hang off. But, but what we see is that Jesus does not get honor by asserting himself or exerting his authority, which was his by right. Quite the opposite. Jesus looks at the power and authority that, his, that is his by right because he is equal with God and he releases it. He does not consider equality with God as a thing to be grasped or clung to. Instead, he empties himself, the bottom of it, he takes on the form of a servant, becomes obedient unto death, and because of that, God elevated him to the highest level. This is the law of indirect effort. This is the law of the kingdom. A kingdom ecosystem. In a kingdom ecosystem, apprentices of Jesus bring a culture of earth 
by emptying, bring a culture of heaven to earth by emptying themselves. Anger, hostility, condescension, sarcasm, gossip, slander, confusion, criticism, eye-rolling, passive-aggressive, hopeful posts on your Instagram account, division, those things will only get you so far. They will produce results. Hear me on this. They will produce results. If you want to get your way in your marriage, if you want to get your way at work, if you want to get your way in a church, you can be angry, you can be sarcastic, you can be condescending, you can be hostile, and you will get results. However, you will succeed at building the kingdom of, insert your name here, and not the kingdom of Jesus. There will be no fruit that lasts, and that's what Jesus calls us to in the way of Jesus. When we use the force of our personality, when we use our gifts, and when we use our strengths, we will get things done, but it will not be the way of Jesus. It will not be fruit that lasts. Fruit that lasts comes from people who choose the way of Jesus, who choose service and humility, which means that true power resides in the hands of the one who gives it away. True influence is in the hands of the person who prays more often than she speaks. True reputation comes not from building a brand, but by allowing the Lord to have our backs even when people doubt our integrity. So when you are at work and things aren't going your way, you feel like your boss notices your coworkers more, you feel like your work is undervalued on the team, the temptation is to get people to see how hard you've worked, to throw your weight around, to, to write a stern email, but that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is humility. The way of Jesus is building into the team. The way of Jesus is waiting to be recognized in the Lord's timing. When you are in marriage, the goal, hear me on this, the goal can never, ever, ever, ever be about controlling your spouse in order to get them to do what you want them to do. And no amount of manipulation, I mean, and here's the deal. You can use manipulation and nagging and sarcasm. You could even use physical abuse to get the needle to move a little bit. But ultimately, there will be no change that will lead to change in your marriage, what will lead to change in your family is servanthood, kindness, humility, sacrifice. In parenting, we learn to relinquish control, to follow the way of Jesus, which means getting rid of cajoling and nagging, which means getting rid of because I said so, and when your kids get older, means getting rid of, here, I'm going to give you this money to help you with this, but it comes with strings. At a church, when things aren't going right, when things aren't going in a way that we agree with, the way to get what we want isn't through gossip or slander. It isn't by having the wrong conversation with the right person or the right conversation with the wrong person. It isn't about back channels. It isn't about anonymous letters. It isn't about emails. It isn't about confrontational coffee dates. It's about servanthood and humility to go directly to the person that is responsible and to have a conversation. In other words, what I'm saying to you today is the way out of the hot mess is humility. And humility is a, is a term that I have a significant problem with. I'm about to get just very transparent. I'm not a perfect example. I'm a living example. So I kind of want to help you see how this has shaped me. Because humility is actually built into me to be something difficult. I am an Enneagram 3. I am an achiever. I am a performer. I love, I love affirmation. I love being told that I'm doing good, and I love being told that because deep down, I already knew it. I'm just telling you, I'm an Enneagram 3 with a four wing, which means, which means in my mind and in my heart, 
Not only do I believe that I am good at what I do, not only do I believe that I am successful, I believe that I am good at what I do and successful because nobody is as good or as successful as me. And that is overwhelmingly and tremendously dangerous for me. It is overwhelmingly and tremendously dangerous for me. And so at the church I was raised in, some people kind of would see that tendency toward arrogance and, 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 and a lack of humility in me. And the way that they would respond to that was often with sarcasm. The irony about that is when somebody is puffing themselves up, it's generally because they feel small on the inside. And so when we try to tear people down, that just makes them puffer fish out even more. And I had the big head. And so I went to college and I really tried to kind of walk through this and I thought I had achieved a level of humility until I read the following quote from your boy C.S. Lewis. So C.S. Lewis says this, do not imagine that if you meet a truly humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not always be, he will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that of course he's nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed cheer, a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you, do not, if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. See, I had started to think that being humble meant peppering my conversation with self-deprecation making sure everybody knew that I thought that I was nobody, making sure everybody knew that I actually thought less of myself than everybody else did. But have you ever noticed what happens in conversations when you use self-deprecation? It opens up the space. The next line in the dialogue, if I self-deprecate, is going to have Joey praising me. That's how self-deprecation works, right? So if I self-deprecate, and let me tell you the truth, Christians are so good at this. Because we love, well, I'm just a nobody. It's not my place. Hey, I don't want to be a bother. I know you're busy. I'm just, here's my favorite. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I found in college that I'd gotten really good at false humility, of crafting an appearance of false humility because I was trying to be humble. And C.S. Lewis has this thing. He says he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Have you ever tried to not think about pink elephants? Do me a favor right now and try not to think about a pink elephant. Don't call to mind a four-legged mammal with tusks and a trunk and big ears all colored a beautiful baby pink. Don't do it. I thought humility was like not thinking about pink elephants. If I'm not thinking about, if I'm actively not thinking about myself, I'm humble. What we actually need to change is the mental narrative of what we're thinking about at all, right? And and that gets to this heart of this definition that Art Cooper read in a book that I thought got really well, something that I've been processing with the Lord, which is that humility is trusting myself with God and others. Because we need something to run toward instead of run away from a lot, right? And, and a lot of Christian teaching says, don't do that. Okay, well, I know not to do that, so what am I supposed to do with my idle hands? What, what I'm trying to give us today is this is what we move toward, is a, a trusting myself with God and others. And this sentence captured something that happened at our last learning community. So Steph and Zach and Joey and Julia and Aaron and I were at a church in Fort Wayne. We're learning about um, this discipleship strategy that's kind of being downloaded into the life of our church. Um, I, and we wanted to do like kind of a mock huddle. And a huddle is something I've got Dan and Rebecca and Dan and Caitlin and a couple from Grace Campus in. Steph and I are really actively discipling them and um, to be taking on some new leadership. And so we're, 
we're having this mock huddle, and, they, and huddles always begin around this idea of what got your attention. How's God getting your attention today? Well, earlier in the day, Zach Byler had prayed as we were in a prayer time with our team, something about how um, God, he said, God, we should all of us have weak knees when we're around you and that we should all be kneeling. Super fun fact. I wasn't going, I was about to delete this story out of my sermon and I opened up my iPad at Grace Campus and Zach had texted me something about this very thing. Spooky. So I get this, so Zach prays this, we should all have weak knees around you. And I immediately had an image in my mind of me kneeling in a room full of standing people. Um, and I knew that that was what God was calling me to do. And uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed this about me, but I'm generally the tallest person in any room. Um, I have a genuine dislike of anyone taller than me uh, because there's only like four of them. Um, and, and I also have the loudest voice, which is terrifying to Zoe Byler, who tracks me in a room because she wants to be ready for when I laugh out loud and make her cry. And so I felt like God saying, I want you to be kneeling in a room full of standing people was to lose everything about me that made me me. Um, but that invitation to humility is really well defined by this, by this idea of trusting myself with God and others. Because if I'm the only person kneeling in a room full of standing people and no one can see me, I need to trust myself with God that he sees me. In fact, I have in another journal, Zach, who's in our learning community, another Zach wrote, Kyle, God sees you. It's also trusting the others around me. It's trusting the others around me that they're going to help me, they're going to protect me from being trampled. They're going to protect me from being walked all over. Um, it was out of this vision that I did not preach from uh, only about half the time from about May to the end of July. And what was super interesting about that for me was I was really trying to do something healthy. And in a number of conversations with people, I, there was a light accusation of me being lazy. That I wasn't really doing my job by giving other people a platform. It was very bizarre. It's very bizarre because my temptation would be to preach 53 out of 50, 53 Sundays out of the 52 in a year. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I'm trying to elevate some people. And what was super interesting about that was people stopped coming to church because they felt like I wasn't going to be preaching. Guys, if you're coming because I'm preaching, go ahead and find another church right now. Because I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. What I'm, what I'm learning and inviting you to learn along with me is this idea of what gets us out of the hot messes is not offing ourselves up, is not making ourselves bigger, is not pointing to our reputation, is not pointing to our hard work. What gets us out of the hot mess is humility. It is this trusting myself, who I am, what makes me me. It's trusting myself with God and with others, which is a very, very difficult thing to do. It is a very terrifying thing to do. It is very scary to put yourself in the position of not being needed as a mom, as an employee. It is very terrifying to put yourself in the position of humility, of not reminding everybody about the ways that you work and provide and do those things and about God, allowing God to kind of hold on to your reputation. And so I want to give you kind of some more teeth to this, okay? This is why I preach sermons with 10 points because some of you are like, okay, I've got humility, done. Some of you are like, I need some more. So here you go. Dallas Willard, um, 
has this quote where he says, um, in seeking and receiving God's word to us, we must at the same time seek and receive the grace of humility, which even that is a smack, isn't it? Because we don't think of humility as a grace. We think of it as a burden. We don't think of it as, as a gift. God will gladly give it to us if, trusting and waiting on him to act, we refrain from pretending. We know we, from pretending we are what we know we are not from presuming a favorable position for ourselves in any respect, and from pushing or trying to override the will of others in our context. I love the sentence. He says, this is a fail-safe recipe for humility. Try it for one month. Money-back guarantee if it does not work, right? That's great. In order to be humble, in order to, what, what trusting God with myself, what trusting others with myself looks like is getting rid of pretending, presuming, and pushing getting rid of pretending, presuming, and pushing. A lot of our pride, a lot of our lack of humility comes from pretending to be someone or something we know that we are not. It is that kind of pretending that we are something or someone that we aren't that causes us to claim talents or, or claim talents or knowledge that we don't possess. It's what causes us to make promises that we know that we cannot keep or how we downplay our abilities because we make us, it makes us appear humble. True humility, Dallas says, claims nothing more and nothing less than the truth. In other words, what you see is what you get, right? No more pretending. A lot of our lack of humility comes from presuming that we know something about someone's motives or actions that we simply do not know. How many of you been, have been in a hot mess at work or in your marriage or at a church and you've said the following sentence, they're just doing blank because blank, 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 psychological blank, blank, right? They're just, they're just doing that because they need everybody to like them. They're just doing that because they're just this way. I don't, what, what is absolutely true is that we, it is beyond our power to read minds it is beyond our power to read feelings. It is beyond our power to read motives. It is something that only God can do. And our presumptions about a person's motives, notice he says, put us inevitably in a position over the person we're presuming about. When I say so-and-so is doing this thing because they're just so this way, I'm, I am, I'm implicitly saying, but I am better because I am not that way. And when we do that, that's what leads to snap judgments and negative assumptions and hasty conclusions. And what's so interesting about it is actually when we do this presuming, it makes us more anxious than less, right? Which is why I finally had a, a licensed therapist tell me, you need to stop imagining what conversations are going to be like and just be in the conversation. You need to stop assigning people's motives and trying to figure people out and just be with people. Pretending, presuming, and pushing. This one is so good. A lot of our lack of humility comes from pushing others around. Now, a lot of us don't do this with their bodies, though I would wager because I, I had a professor and a mentor at Moody tell me, anytime I'm having a corrective conversation with somebody, I need to be sitting down because I'm taller than them, right? Which is what I do. So if I'm having a hard conversation, if I, if I walk up to you and sit down, be nervous, is what I just said, actually. Um, 
uh, because I don't want to push you around even by implication physically, right? Uh, some husbands or, or even wives do this physically in their marriage. They push around. But more often than not, it happens with our words. It happens with nagging, uh, giving commands in a loud voice, cough, parents, cough, cough. Um, it comes with rolling our eyes. It comes with making critical comments. It comes with sarcasm. And here's the problem with pushing. What did Rick say to do last week? Let God be God, right? Let God be God. When we start pushing, we stop letting God be God in the mess. Because I, I am, I'm, in this, I'm in this fight with Zach because he's being a dummy and he thinks I'm being a dummy. And instead of, and I want Zach to stop being a dummy. So what I do is I push God out of the way and I push Zach around to make him stop being a dummy. I stop letting God, I think this is a very real thing in parenting that we see this uh, like attitude or t- tendency of behavior in our kids. I do this with the people that I'm mentoring and discipling. I see something and there is a tendency in me, I can fix that. Let me push God out of the way and push them around. And you don't even, he, Christians get really good at doing this with spiritual language. Brother, I just want to speak the truth and love to you. But what we need to do is let God be God. Dallas says, humility waits for the Lord to move first. I can't imagine how hard this is in parenting. I'll I'll let you know in a little while. Humility lets the Lord move first. What we're saying is that to escape from the hot mess, we don't need to take control. We don't need to handle the problem. We don't need to throw our weight around. We don't need to point our fingers and accuse and nag in marriage or at work or with our kids or at church or with our friends. Instead, the way out is humility, which means getting rid of pretending or presuming or pushing. And I would say the opposite of these things is we need more honesty. I had a conversation with a leader a couple of weeks ago where I tried to do a new thing. Instead of pretending I had time or energy or resources, I didn't. I just laid it all out very honestly. It went better than I, it was terrifying. It went better than I thought it would go. We need more honesty about where we are where we are in our resources. I think on the other hand of that, no, I'm not going to say that. We need less presuming and more listening, more asking questions. I can't know your motives until you tell me about them. And I can only know that you've told me about them if you stop pretending and give me more honesty. And finally, I need less pushing and more prayer because I need prayer is the active discipline of letting God go first. Prayer is the active discipline of letting God go first. I'm just going to say it again because I find that tweetable. Prayer is the active discipline of letting God go first, but it is. Okay? How many of you find this to sound nearly impossible? Yeah, same. Okay. Um, Want a secret? I only have about three wedding sermons. Um, and I just kind of recycle. And the wedding sermon I used for my brother Logan this weekend, I said, in marriage, God asks us to do the impossible. Really what he asks us to do is stop pushing and presuming and pretending, right? He asks us to forgive and to serve. That's, that's what makes marriage hard. In marriage, God asks us to do the impossible, but then Jesus gives us himself, which makes all things possible. And this is no exception, this presuming pushing. Because verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 2, Dan, if you could put that up, says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When Jesus asks us to do the impossible, he gives us himself. 
And, and what Paul is saying here isn't, it's kind of like you have the mind of Christ. Let me paint you a metaphor. No, he's speaking of the very nature of reality that in the moment you place your faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, he indwells you fully by his spirit. And part of that is a renewing of your mind and it takes your whole life long. But you are given access to the mind of Christ, which means when you are in the midst of the hot mess, you have access to know exactly what Jesus thinks. You have access to know exactly what Jesus sees. You have, ag- you have access to know exactly what Jesus would say. And so church, let me, let me give you this. If you hear nothing else today, the next time you're in the hot mess, can you just inside of your heart say, I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Jesus, how do you see this? Jesus, um, what would you say here? Jesus, what should I feel about this? Here's the funny part. If you're praying for the mind of Christ to know what's going on inside of them, you probably won't get it. Jesus is very happy to hold up the mirror and say, I can tell you what's going on inside of you, right? Paul says this actually in 1 Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ, that your mind and the mind of Jesus are kind of merging, not to sound spooky, but heaven is the place where we are finally one with Jesus, And for right now, we have access to his wisdom and his understanding and his compassion and his love and his truth speaking. The very moment you say yes to Jesus. So that means we can freely give up the pretending and the pushing and the presuming in favor of the way of Jesus. That we can live it like, even if it feels like we're losing something, which is how humility will feel. When we're losing control or we're losing reputation or we're losing being seen as a certain way, the reality of it is we're actually gaining more of Jesus. And I've really been, I didn't put this on the screen, but I was reminded of a passage just at the end, um, 1 Peter 5. Verse 6. Scripture says, Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. See, I'm, I can trust God with myself because he has mighty power. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. He did it with Jesus, he'll do it with you. But then the next, the next thing is, the next sentence is not disconnected. It's what actually makes verse six happen. Give your worries to God and cares to God for he cares about you. Isn't that interesting? I always thought those were two things. Go be humble, and by the way, go give your, no. When we give our cares to God, it's us entrusting ourselves to him, which frees us to humble ourselves under his mighty power. Church, this is impossible, but the good news is this. You have the mind of Christ. If you haven't come to a place where you've like, chosen to follow Jesus, plot twist, this will be impossible. And you might get a tiny little bit of it every once in a while, but the table that Jesus prepares for us is a feast where he's always offering us more of himself. So let me, let me tell you this. We're going to um, spend some time responding to God. Uh, the disciples of Jesus, they hear what God says, and then they respond. Those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice. My question for you this Sunday and every Sunday is, what is God asking you to put into practice today? The goal is not to be smarter or have new insights. The goal is to be more ready to put into practice the teachings of Jesus. And so um, you can use the back of your bulletin. You can type some stuff into your phone. You can sit and pray. But, and, and after a while, Julia will invite us to stand. We're, we're singing a new song called New Wine. We're singing about wine in church, so you know we're cool. Um, 
But this song says, like, in the crushing and in the pressing, you are bringing new wine out of me. And new wine is this biblical image of the ministry of Jesus that something new is happening. And so in the crushing and in the pressing of the hot mess, as we embody the way of Jesus, something new comes out of us. Uh, and, that, and that mess actually isn't wasted. It becomes the raw material that Jesus uses to make us like him. And so this song is kind of an opportunity for us to even just affirm that that is true, right? Um, affirm that that is true. So take some time and respond to the Lord and then Julia will lead us. I, you know, you write a sermon and... Uh, you just don't know what's going to happen. And I feel like the Lord is doing some stuff. And so I feel like the Lord could be doing something for you or with you. So um, I just need three people to move at me right now to help me serve communion. I don't want to pick if somebody's in the middle of something. One, two, three. You're just juice, so your hands can be dirty. It's fine. You can, you can be unclean. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And uh, if this is highlighting an area of failure for you, just remember that uh, Jesus was broken for our failures. And in that breaking, he makes us whole. And Jesus was poured out for us. And in that pouring out, he makes us full again. So pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, Lord Jesus, that we might be refreshed by your grace and strengthened by your courage. Uh, so that we might be people of humility who wrap our lives around your life. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. The table is open. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding with steadfast love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins, and he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens as above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Hey, I love you a whole heck of a lot, and I'm really honored to do this thing with you. And so um, we will see you next week as we continue in the hot mess. Let me just say that if you are like one of the six people that are, we're going to the SPRC consult at one, we are in my car or in a vehicle in nine minutes so we can get dinner and get over there. Deal? If you don't know what that means, ignore it. Love you. Bye.